Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to a very special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We are on, we're going to be live right now, Friday Harbor, Tiny Radio. we got Dan Weber on the show, and we are broadcasting this podcast live, experimenting with a little bit, trying it out, see what you do. We want to be able to have uh, live interaction. If you want to tweet any questions to us during the show, you can uh, tweet me at Inside Troy. We want to talk about, of course, USC football, and we have uh, USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. Hey, Dan, thanks for uh, being patient with us. How you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, sounds like uh, like the sound of the uh, Trojan marching band. I guess they went from uh, the Coachella to uh, to your studio. <laughs> yeah, they're playing out there in uh, the Inland Empire out here in Southern California, Coachella. But, um, yeah, we so we record the show uh, normally. You know, we, we have Dan on every week, and we wanted to try a a live element. So we talked with the guys over at Friday Harbor Tiny Radio. So it's um, – the website is fhtinyradio.com, uh, and we're allowing people to listen to us live, see what we have to say, and, and we want to make it interactive. So we can we have some questions that people wrote in, Dan, that we'll get to, but we also wanted to allow people, if they wanted to write in, uh, tweet me, say hello, and come on the show. We could you know interact with them live. So it's something we haven't done before. I thought it would be a fun thing to try. Yeah. Now, where do they uh, listen to it live? How do they how do they access it live? Yeah, so the the website is fh com, and uh, with the USC show, they're doing it at six p.m. Pacific time. They're actually going to have if you're a uh, University of Washington fan, they're going to have a Husky fan podcast. It will be live at seven p.m. So we're on the uh, six p.m. time slot right now. It's fh com. Hey, sounds good. Okay. And uh, cool. yeah, so if you have any questions, you know, feel free to tweet me at Inside Troy. Um, so we'll we'll kind of answer the stuff as we go. It's uh, I thought what we start with Dan is the the eve of the NFL draft, and I'm not sure how many USC players are are going to get drafted, but I want to kind of get your thoughts on that. The the highest ranked one, of course, is uh, Sua Cravens, the outside linebacker slash safety slash. We're not sure what he's going to play. Yeah. Uh, in the NFL, but um, what are your thoughts here on the eve of the NFL draft? Yeah, I don't know that I can remember uh, an eve of the NFL draft with less anticipation from USC standpoint, and that's probably a good thing in a way. Uh, was on the uh, the conference call uh, with the uh, all twelve Pac twelve coaches, and many of them were asked about uh, the NFL draft because of this guy or Jared Goff or Scooby Wright or UCLA with six three-year guys leaving the program. And Clay Helton got no questions at all (laughs) about the NFL draft, which is probably a really good thing going forward that, uh, you know, it may not be the greatest thing this year for USC's uh, tradition of, you know, having the, most uh, first-round draft picks and the most overall draft picks and all that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, uh, he didn't have to answer any questions. Uh, and, and I think one of the reasons is 
it's really been hard to if you know Sua Cravens is your number one guy, and he's a guy without a position. Uh, you know, there are people who you know I really respect and and, and with the NFL, you know the NFL types, and they can't believe that he's sort of this in between weight now. You know that he's like 225 and he didn't do all that well and you know the um, uh, the combine numbers and things like that and. A lot of people do not see him as a linebacker. However, when you talk to Sua, half the people in the NFL that he talked to did. And so here he's just, hes probably not big enough to play linebacker right now. Probably not, you know, if, in terms of, you know, at 225 pounds, he may not be quick enough. He didn't have a real great, you know, vertical jump and that, that kind of thing to play safety even though, you know, everybody who's watched him thinks, you know, he's a great, you know, in terms of ball skills and, and closing gaps and, you know, tackling in, in the open field and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that people, I respect them as say, they think he probably should have lost some weight and just declared, I'm a safety. But I guess that's hard when half the people you're talking to in interviews at the NFL are thinking you might be a, a linebacker, do you just say, no, I'm not that guy? I know, you know, two years ago when he was shifted to, you know, linebacker, he was really not happy. He wanted to be a safety. I think deep down he still wants to be a safety. But I think that's part of the problem. I mean, nobody knows what to think. Even, you know, USC fans who love Sua don't know what to think. I mean, he wasn't probably put in a position to, to make a lot of plays. The last couple of years, he, you know, if you were the other team, you could probably figure out how to, you know, avoid Sua. So, so I think that takes away a lot of the, you know, a lot of the excitement. And, uh, uh, you know, Max Turk has got the broken or got the, got the knee injury and he can't really, you know, finish out the year. So we don't have a sense of, of where he might go. And he went into the year as the number one center in the country. And uh, Kevon Seymour, I guess everybody's hopeful just because he had such a great combine, ran so well. But, uh, you know, here's a kid that didn't start most of the game. So there's not a lot probably for the USC fans to to really get involved with. It's just kind of like, well, we'll watch and see what happens, but who knows uh, how this is going to go. Yeah, I, mean, I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the NFL draft ends up being there's potential and there's production. I think Sue Cravens does bring a lot of production uh, to the table. It's just one of those tweener things, and that can you can certainly get dinged. Uh, with Max Turek, you know, getting the injury, you know, got to see there's you know a couple good years of film on him, um, but you know, the, I think the injury certainly is potential to set him back. And you know, we, we've heard maybe Sue is slipping. We're not really sure where he's going to go. It'll be interesting to see where he does end up going. But Kevon Seymour, you mentioned, and he's someone I think helped himself a lot. Uh, following the season, you know, sometimes you look at, well, what what he was able to do during the season and things like that. This is more of a situation where he showed how fast he could be, you know, when he ran the football, uh, he did really well in the drills. And I think in the interviews and everything, someone where, you know, maybe he wasn't a super standout as far as a corner at USC, but after the season, he's one of those guys that might've helped himself the most. I think a lot. He's got the frame. He's, uh, you know, I think that four four one forty, what you know, that was like, whoa, wait, you know, amazing. Uh, he didn't get to do a lot of, you know, shut down stuff, and and probably wasn't coached all that well in doing it. If I'm drafting a kid like that, I might think, you know, 
we got a lot to teach him, but he's, he could be very teachable. And, um, you know, maybe some of the lack of production, well, he, he obviously was injured a, a number of times, but, but you know, wasn't necessarily his fault the way, you know, the defense was constructed the last couple of years. Uh, although I did see, talk about production, I did see a tweet, Michael Webb, tweeted uh, from an unknown, or, excuse me, unidentified NFL scout about SUA, and he, he looked at SUA's numbers uh, over the last, well, all three, his total career numbers, and, and said that for a player like SUA, they, he didn't have enough production. He didn't have enough uh, huh. tackles for losses, didn't have enough uh, uh, interceptions, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And the numbers weren't, you know, weren't great. I mean, again, we all have seen him since high school and know his closing ability and his instincts and his, you know, his sense of where the football is. But the way, you know, the USC defense played, it was hard to show that, you know, for a kid like Sua. And uh, you, you feel bad uh, for him. You wish he could have come back and played, uh, you know, strong safety for a year gotten himself down to, you know, 210 pounds and, uh, and really, you know, showed what he could do. But right now you're, you're, you're kind of guessing. And then he didn't do, uh, you know, didn't do any uh, private individual workouts. So teams are, it's going to be really interesting. I, mean, I, I can't even guess what's going to happen with Sua. Just yeah, hope he goes to the right team. Yeah, I think it's going to be about which, you know, whoever picks him, whatever GM decides to pick him, they're going to feel it's a good fit. And it's funny. I would argue. I love the anonymous scout comments. By the way, yeah. we get so oh, many of those. A, there's a million of them. Yeah. A, <laughs> but as far as production goes, if you look at the USC defense as a whole, was there a lot of people making individual plays? There really was. Wasn't he? Was one no, guy they were that taken was taken out of the that that was just not even part of the scheme much. Uh, for some reason, Cameron Smith broke through last year. He did. I'm not even sure how that happened. Uh, it was like he wasn't in the script, but uh, nobody else, uh, you know, got to make a lot of individual plays. I mean, even Leonard Williams a year ago in his senior year didn't get a chance to, to probably have the kind of statistical, you know, numbers that you would have expected because of the way they played. So you're right about, you know, Sua didn't get a chance to, to put up those kind of numbers. Yeah, if he was in, like, I, I think this year, we've talked about this before with Clancy Pendergast coming back, I think he's going to be, it's going to be a much more aggressive style. Uh, I think you're going to see more individual plays being made. Now, sure, there could be some mistakes and stuff, but it's just the nature of the USC defense did not, it just didn't lend itself to producing guys that were going to have, you know, 125 tackles and 15 tackles for life. It just wasn't going to be that kind of a defense. So I think if you just look at that, well, I'm going to compare Sua Cravens to some of the other guys across the country. It's just, I think a lot of it had to do with defensive scheme and not really his ability. Absolutely. There's no question about it. Yeah, and I, I kind of maybe, knowing that Michael absolutely knew that, I, I, I mean, he was just saying, here's what somebody in the NFL is saying. So let you, he didn't, you know, say whether he, he agreed with it or not. I think he would, if we pushed him, he would agree with what you just said that uh, this, this wasn't a defense that was going to ever give anybody, you know, those kinds of numbers. It just wasn't anything about that defense that would allow somebody to do it. And it was, in some ways, you could target Sua and, you know, uh, take him out. I mean, you, you didn't have to worry about, you know, other people making plays. 
So I think he was clearly targeted, and that made it, you know, even more difficult for him. Yeah. Um, so we talked about Max Turek, uh, Kevon Seymour. But you're right. As far as I – mean, USC was tweeting out the uh, – I think it was 79 first-round draft picks, like more than any other school. Clay Helton and stuff was tweeting it out. It just – you know, it's not going to be a really strong draft. It's funny, interesting in Los Angeles. Like, you know, we talk about USC and UCLA – um, you, know, what, you know, what they're going to do in the draft. The Rams have the first pick, and then they have a whole day off. They don't have anything, don't have anything until Saturday, right. like the 12th pick on Saturday. Um, so there could be some really, I guess, some lulls in the draft as far as from a Los Angeles perspective from the USC, UCLA side, and, and, and the Rams too. Yeah, that's, that's kind of ironic when you, yeah, the first year for the Rams. And uh, USC's got nobody for the Rams, UCLA, you know, you got to think that's probably not going to happen. I mean, there is some drama there with uh, Miles Jack yeah. and me, and nobody knowing uh, what's the real story there. Uh, so you've got some, you know, drama in terms of questions that aren't answered. But as, you know, as far as um, you know, who's who's going to take this guy or that guy, or who's going to get traded up uh, so they can go here and what have you? Uh, USC people. And UCLA, even with the six uh, guys that left early, are going to kind of be on the sidelines just watching to see uh, when and if, uh, you know, something good happens for, you know, for some of those guys. Yeah, the Rams one would have been interesting if they didn't trade. But, you know, getting the first pick, mm-hmm. of course. But, you know, Jared Goff, who we've seen a lot of, like, you know, that looks like that's where it's going to go. There's not a whole lot of drama there. And then, like you said, it's like the first pick on Thursday – no picks the rest of Thursday, no picks on Friday, and then you got to wait 12 picks on Saturday. So there's not – before they had a first and two seconds, and there would have been like, oh, maybe get like a Paxton Lynch at 15 and then take a yeah. wide receiver with one of their second-round picks. Um, so it just kind of takes a little bit of the drama out. But it does it does add some excitement. Um, and, you know, keeping a Pac-12 quarterback on the West Coast, I think that should be fun too. Yeah, and it's interesting, though. If you're a USC fan – you don't, you know, you you like the idea of Jared Goff, but you don't have any sense of, ooh, that guy really hurt us, or that guy, you know, uh, there's none of that. You know, everybody, you know, he was fun to watch. He had all the, you know, the skill set and what have you. But just the way those games, uh, you know, come down, uh, you never had that sense of, uh, you know, this is a guy to really be fear. I mean, when you played Cal, you didn't think, uh oh. This is the number one guy in the you know the entire country and in, in the entire draft. Uh, it just never was that that sense of uh, you know this is somebody who's really 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 special. And I don't disagree. Uh, he is uh, a pretty special player, but uh, you never had that feeling when USC and, and Cal got together. He's never beat USC like Aaron Rodgers. I, mean, I think hasn't Cal lost to USC like eleven times in a row or something crazy? Like all the the good quarterbacks they've had, and no one's ever beat USC. <laughs> Although Aaron Rodgers, even though he didn't beat USC <laughs> that day, where uh, what did he complete? Uh, twenty three like, straight, or I think it's twenty three or twenty four straight passes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think USC fans will always remember that game. Uh, you know, they they survived. Uh, but uh, that was uh, that was as, 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 that's as good as you could do uh, that day. Yeah, certainly. That was I remember that game, man. That was that was a fun one to watch. He was just sometimes guys are in the zone. Uh, he was in the zone. All right. Well, let's uh, yeah. we'll get to some questions here, Dan. And uh, wanted to. Oh, you know, what? before we do that, one quick thing. 
There was a pack. You mentioned the Pac-12 uh, conference call with some of the coaches that were on. Um, anything interesting from Clay Helton on that uh, that conference call? Well, I thought Clay. I think he might have been the most upbeat of all twelve coaches. I mean, he came across as, and and the more you think about it, I mean, this is a year where there are significant questions all across the Pac-12. I mean, there are coaches a number of them that still have three quarterbacks competing and aren't, you know, close to making a decision. There are coaches, I mean, big-time guys like um, uh, David Shaw and uh, I guess Todd Graham said they may be playing two quarterbacks, by the, you know, when the season starts, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I know USC people get all excited because there wasn't a decision about the quarterbacks by the end of the spring, but USC in far better shape and 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 you would hear coaches you know talk about uh utah for example all their linebackers are gone i mean they gotta and this is a, you know a team that's built around defense and they've got to just totally rebuild the linebackers or um uh, uh colorado for example they lost you know this is a year they've got 40 43 i guess juniors and seniors on scholarship and they've been you know just trying to get going and trying and their quarterback uh, uh, breaks his foot. And so now they sign the uh, Texas Tech graduate transfer, uh, Davis Webb. Unfortunately for them, that's not the same as a, um, as a scholarship. It's a grant and aid. And so even though he's committed and signed with Colorado, everybody else still can recruit him. So California is recruiting the heck out of him even though he's supposed to go to, to Colorado, and they need a guy to replace, obviously, Goff. So, I mean, there are teams with, uh, with lots of issues. I mean, Stanford, you know, has to find a quarterback, uh, has to completely rebuild their offensive line. Uh, uh, Arizona State does. They've got, to find a, they've got three quarterbacks. And uh, it's, uh, as you went through it, you think, Clay looks like, he has fewer questions and more answers. And there's just a, there was a sense of, wow, this is interesting. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Stanford, for example, David Shaw is talking about they hope the uh, tradition that they've built in recent years is enough to kind of carry them through till they get squared away. And uh, I think uh, Todd Graham was saying the same thing, Oregon kind of the same thing. And I didn't get that quite that same thing from Clay. I, I think Clay felt like, uh, you know, this team, we, we kind of know where this team's going and who they're going, who we're going with. And uh, it was uh, it was interesting just to listen listen to all the coaches. You don't hear the same sense from the Pac-12 that there's anybody who's like a national challenger right now. You know, you don't have the sense that, you know, Oregon's trying to figure out or Stanford how to get into the college football playoffs, that that may be a little bit, you know, past where – they think these teams are this year. So uh, it was just kind of an interesting, you know, everybody's take uh, w- was, uh, you know, was different. Everybody had to answer different questions. Jim Mora at UCLA had to answer quest- a lot of questions about guys going to the NFL. And so he ends up, you know, <laughs> very much talking about, well, we must be doing some things right. Uh, we're recruiting some good players that they can all leave after three years. And, uh, uh, our coaching must be pretty good, so so that's exciting. And and I always think, gosh, if you got to be talking about the guys who are going to the NFL, 
it's probably not where you want to be as a program uh, in some ways. Uh, if you're, you know, if they're not talking about the players you got coming back for next year. The so, uh, like we said before at the top of the show, the uh, Husky Fan Podcast will follow us on um, the uh, Tiny Radio. Uh, Chris Peterson obviously turned things around pretty well up there in Washington. Um, you know, one of those teams that people are talking about, you know, there's Oregon and Stanford, but with that defense and young quarterback and the offense looking better, what, what did uh, Chris Peterson have to say on the call? He had actually, it was amazing. He had the shortest one of all. I think there were only like three questions and didn't go to 10 minutes. Uh, he talked about Jake Browning and uh, what it takes to have a, a freshman quarterback able to play. There were a lot of, through the whole league, a lot of talk about freshman quarterbacks or quarterbacks being ready to play. Uh, and he said, you know, it's not the ideal situation. You only do it out of necessity. Uh, the depth problems in, uh, in a college football are going to give you that situation every once in a while. He said, uh, you know, kids are coming out better prepared, better coached, uh, stronger, more mature out of high school. They've got individual coaches, and they work at it all year round. So he said, you can do it, but you'd rather not do it. Uh, other than that, he mentioned the fact that, you know, last year they had four four draft picks in the top 44, I guess it was. He said, this year, he said, our guys are a little bit under the radar. <laughs> so so, uh, uh, and so nobody really, you know, jumps out at you. And um, I'm trying to think uh, if there was much else. He was just very uh, in the background kind of. It just wasn't like there was there was much that, and that's a little bit maybe Chris Peterson also, but a little bit uh, just uh, uh, there just didn't seem to be any topics that were, you know, exciting anybody uh, about Washington football. And maybe that's kind of the way Chris Peterson, you know, wants it to be. He came in last year into the Coliseum very unexcitedly snuck away with a victory, uh, which USC fans are still trying to figure out how that happened uh, as they look at it and say, you know, how – how did he possibly lose, uh, you know, to those guys? But uh, um, uh, I'd say Chris was the, probably the the most understated person in in in, in talking about uh, uh, his Husky uh, program. All right. Oh, I just saw a tweet that came by. So USC since 1967, USC's had the most first round draft picks since the the common draft began in '67. USC had 68, Miami 58, Ohio State 56, and Florida 46. Um, so, yeah, the Trojans are up there. And it's pretty ma- amazing when you consider that's held up through the sanctions. Uh, yeah. You know, that, 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 that they've been able to, you know, USC's been able to hold on. And, uh, you know, USC fans should probably be, you know, pretty pa- proud of that, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that somehow – they didn't just all go away, and you you have a Leonard, you know Leonard Williams and guys like that 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 make you know really big impacts, uh, and uh, you know probably you shouldn't have expected it necessarily you know to hold up, but uh, but it did. All right, well let's get to some questions, Dan. Uh, we had Tarek wrote in. He said, "Do you see?" any of the current or incoming wide receivers for USC besides the JNA Harris uh, playing defensive back for the Trojans in the fall? I don't know that they, they need anybody else. I mean, I think the numbers 
when they get everybody there, I mean, I know there are guys that are coming in, you know, both ways, but uh, I think you kind of have a sense of this guy's either an offensive player or a defensive player. But, uh, but if you, if, if they get, um, uh, Akili, Ross, uh, goes to defense, which we think he will. And with a Gen A kind of already moving in that direction, uh, and Jack Jones coming in, and a Dory coming back, and John Plattenberg getting healthy, and Chris Hawkins getting healthy, I just don't see the need to move anybody <clears throat> over there. You know, if you're saying a guy's basically an offensive player, I don't, I don't see anybody that you would say, oh, no, let's move him to defense. I don't know. What do, you, do you think there's anybody that fits that category? No, you know, it's funny. I talked to – so we were at the uh, passing down Best of the West tournament in uh, – Placentia on Sunday and uh, Chris Hawkins was there uh, and um, Michael Hutchins. So Chris Hawkins, the cornerback and or safety and Michael Hutchins, the linebacker kind of talking to them about it. And, uh, you know, I was talking to them and, and, you know, their feeling was that, he, you know, Harris, Jane Harris kind of wanted to do it. Um, I talked to Harris probably a month or so before that at the Nike camp in Los Angeles and, he was just really trying to get healthy. And I, I, I get the you – know, it right. seems like he just wanted to contribute however he could. I'm just not convinced, though, that he's going to stay there. Like you said, there's a lot of guys coming back. Uh, there's more guys coming in. Um, unless he feels that's the, you know where he could go. And, you know, talking to some of the other players, it seemed like they felt he did a good job, you know. Um, but it's – Well, I think he did a good job both both sides of the ball. I thought he – you know, he had a – you know, I think they put in – uh, you know, a flanker reverse for him, and uh, he just had a. He, I mean, I think I could see him <clears throat> wherever they need him. I mean, just let him, uh, let him, uh, let him go. I don't, I don't have a sense that they're going to absolutely need him. I just think he wanted to play more, and he saw that they needed him. Uh, you know, at the end of the spring, and he could be on the field a lot more. And I, I, I mean, I love that attitude. And uh, but uh, I'm not sure that the numbers are. They're going to have a lot of guys. I mean, a lot more people that can play in the secondary than we've seen in a long time. The the one Keyshawn Young, you know, Pi Young, him coming in, um, you know, they were saying receiver, but I could definitely see him playing defensive back. I mean, he did both in high school. Um, is oh, I think, yeah, I think I think of him more as coming in as on on defense. I don't know why. I just I, I just that's how I I look at it because you got you got Vilas uh, Jones coming in on offense. So. Right. I don't know. I think they balance each other out. I, I don't know. I just think I see, I see, uh, Pi as a uh, a defensive guy. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how that all works out. They're just they're the numbers are big on both sides. Though I mean they've got a lot of got a lot of receivers next year. You know if they lose five or so of those receivers, that that you know dynamic changes a lot between offense and defense. Uh, so it might be good to have a couple of people who can go, you know, both ways and maybe one year go, you know, defense and next year go back to offense. Yeah. And, uh, I think people look at it and we, we get questions about this too. Why are there so many receivers? There's a lot of receivers on the, on the roster for sure. And I think after last year, Dan, where it was the Juju Smith show and not of other, a lot of, a lot of other people, um, we're getting the football. I think you're going to see it spread out a little bit more now. So they, people won't mind. I think when you have a whole bunch of receivers on the roster 
and only one guy's getting the ball, then people are like, why are all these guys playing receiver? But I think you're yeah. going to see a lot of other guys get, you know, multiple catches, you know, multiple catch games, double digit catches, you know, things like that. I, I think you're going to see that more. So people will, hey, that's, it's, you know, that's good that you have all these receivers. Yeah, I think you just look at the offense, and it's designed to get the ball quickly to the first guy that's open. And it's designed to have people open. Last year, <clears throat> very often, that first guy wasn't open. And maybe that second guy wasn't open. And now Cody has got two choices. Do I look to see who missed the block and who's going to come and you know crush me? Or do I go to my third read? And uh, I don't think you'll see much of that. That was that sort of mechanical one, two, three. I think if you notice what, what we've seen is the quarterbacks are dropping back and, and looking to have a full field of vision because the idea is you're not absolutely certain who's not going to be able to be covered. I mean, one of the differences is because there's going to be a tight end in the mix all the time. Uh, you don't know who's, who's going to get uncovered or who's going to be open quick. And, uh, uh, I mean, I really like the way this is designed. It's not, you know, where it's got a – and you'll let Juju, you know, win those battles just because he's Juju. And if people have to, you know, cover a tight end, you know, with a safety or a linebacker or whatever, you're going to have fewer people to cover Juju. So I just think, you know, he'll he'll get his opportunities just because he's Juju, but it won't be because you feel like you have to go in that direction uh, this year. I think it'll be a, uh, it, well, it already is a totally different sense of where the ball's going to go. I mean, just the idea on the one touchdown in the spring game, you had two tight ends flooding the zone at the flag, you know, 20 some yards downfield. I don't think we've ever seen that before, you know, and, and the poor defender had to choose one or the other. He couldn't defend both uh, tight ends who were, you know, that deep, that, you know, and, you know, essentially either one of them could have caught you know, the touchdown pass, I mean, that's just stuff we haven't seen in a long, long time. And uh, and that'll, I think that's just going to change the whole, you know, character of the offense. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. We got a question from Brittany. She's in the USC class of 2012. Thanks for writing in, Brittany. She says, I'm a fan of the podcast and the plethora of information and knowledge that you share about USC football. Thank you for that. Given the recent change of the logo, uh, any word on uniform alterations, specifically if the chrome helmets will become more of a constant and not just for away games? Thanks and fight on from Brittany. I think the chrome helmets might be a constant <clears throat> on the uh, shelf in the equipment room is, is what <laughs> I'm hearing. It, 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 I think the look is to go back to classic. I mean, and we didn't even re- respond to it. I, I was so thrilled about it. I didn't want to talk about it that, they played in the home uniforms with white socks. And that got me, you know, that back to that classic look that I remember first time I ever saw USC play. And uh, so I think the move is to go away from, you know, tricked up this or that. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's on the, I think those chrome helmets are on the uh, uh, same shelf where they've got the, uh, the sound system from practice uh, for playing the music. I think they're they're all in the same room, and they may not be coming out. Maybe the Black Sox, too. Although, if it were me, <clears throat> I, at the first pep rally, what I would like to do is have a big bonfire of the Black Sox 
douse them in gasoline, set them on fire. That would be uh, that'd be my uh, <laughs> that'd be the, my my trifecta. We could get uh, get rid of the chrome helmets, uh, the black socks, and we already got rid of the music. That's uh, that's 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 what I like. I think USC, and, you know, the fact that USC's got some things that nobody else. Almost nobody else has the no names on the back of the the jerseys. The fact that you know USC and Notre Dame and UCLA are the only you know schools that have never played down, uh, you know, in modern football played a, a team from a lower classification and all that. I just think some of those things you just keep and you just say, you know, this is us. This is our look. I mean, for example, in the first game next year, Alabama will be wearing the same uniforms. <clears throat> that I think they were wearing in 1959 when Bear Bryant went, or when, whatever year was Bear's first year at Alabama. Uh, I like that. That's cool. That'll be two teams, you know, with, uh, with the uniform looks that are just classic and uh, traditional, and you know exactly who you're looking at when you see them. You don't have to guess. The uh, So the logo changes, they're, they're – they're... Some subtle changes, I guess you could say, that they, you know, the USC needed to update things and try to make things more consistent. Um, the interlocking SC. Now they're going to keep, like, I think the, I think baseball and track kind of have their own, and they're they're able to keep those. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Right. Yes, but, that's correct. Yep. But yep. The, the track keeps the shield. Yeah. Baseball keeps that. Uh, actually, baseball. I think a few years ago, it was the baseball look that that got into a was in a lawsuit, a copyright lawsuit of some sort with the University of South Carolina on the interlocking SC and uh, and USC the USC won that one and the other USC uh, wasn't able to uh, use the uh, interlocking SC so so they've defended it you know pretty well uh, I think the only thing you know people are going to notice much is they're going to take the uh, script Trojans off it's not going to be the combination where you have the interlocking SC and the script Trojans above it, which will take it off the field, I guess. So all you'll have on the center of the field is the SC. Uh, the spring game probably was the last time that you'll see that uh, script uh, Trojans on the field. Yeah, so we got to see that at the spring game, and there was talk, hey, that's going away. And I think, I forget, I think one of the coaches, Dan, might have tweeted out, this is the last time you're going to see this because they were getting rid of it or whatever. So, yeah, that's that, – Yeah, I think it was Coach, uh, Coach Baxter. He was all over that. Coach Baxter tweeted that out. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's go to oh, our buddy, the G. He says, with Josh Fatu and others coming on board in the fall, after having signed their letter of intent, do they receive the playbook in advance of their arrival? Additionally, do they receive some sort of support slash guidance as it relates to nutrition and a guideline to work uh, with a workout in order to stay in shape. Look forward to your response. Thanks for the podcast and all you guys do. The G. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I think now USC lost their uh, nutrition guy. Uh, he was rehired by the Eagles. He came from the Eagles for last year and then went back to the Eagles. And I guess uh, all the NFL teams now are. They're making a much bigger push to, uh, you know, take care of their guys' uh, nutritional needs and all that. So I understand they've, re- you know, they have uh, a new hire. Don't know if they're on, on campus yet, but, uh, but uh, I think that's a big part of, uh, you know, doing individual programs because they've got, you know, the guys that have lost 35 pounds and the guys that have gained 35 pounds, and, uh, and that's a big deal. I, honest to gosh, uh, Chad Wheeler 
just looks like a different person that playing at you know three ten on his six foot seven frame. I mean, that's just uh, he's able to you know hold the edge in ways that uh, I think it really really matters. And obviously, Damian Mama and uh, you know Zach Banner losing you know more than thirty pounds each. Uh, that's going to matter, you know, that, that matters. So, uh, you know, and I think, you know, even just little things like Ronald Jones is up to 195 now from 185 and doesn't look like he's lost any uh, speed at all. I think that, uh, you know, so I, I, they definitely do that. Uh, in terms of whether they send them the actual whole playbook or they send them, <clears throat> they send them enough so that they can really, uh, you know, get into uh, – summer workouts and they really can understand what they're doing and they'll they'll definitely have a summer workout kind of you know playbook uh that uh that they'll be expected you know to know i don't know if they give them the entire thing uh you know where they're going to be studying it at home and all that i i would think they they give them the summer book and then uh, they also uh, i think ivan lewis is definitely on top of where he expects them to be uh, you know, working out on their own. Uh, they'll probably get, you know, back into it at the end of May. I don't know if they've set a date absolutely yet for when they uh, officially start, you know, summer workouts. But between now and then, uh, they'll be expecting them to, uh, you know, and they'll be specifically saying this is what, you know, we expect you to do. Uh, so, yes, they, they do. That's pretty important that they keep track of all that. Yeah. And the, uh, it's interesting, when you talk to the players now, their playbooks are all on iPads. Everything's electronic. Um, you, you know, I, I wonder about the... But, you know, I guess I was thinking the managers would have little playbooks. Yeah. But they, uh, because they could pull out the page or whatever. But you're right, the players, I think, uh, it's the iPads that they can, you know, hook into their locker, uh, into their lockers. That's, that's a good point. You know, I'd be a wonder, though, with... It's so easy. I mean, you're, if you're giving out your playbook to 110 or whatever, 18, 19, 20-year-olds on iPads, like, how easy would that be just to get out there? I mean, do, I, I just don't no. see it being all that secure, you know? No, I, I wonder if there's anybody, you know, we worry about, you know, hacking into power plants and, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, industrial espionage. You just wonder if anybody out there would start hacking into, uh, you know, teams uh, uh databases to try to come up with their uh you know their game plans uh that's an interesting thought I mean, huh you could probably create a whole industry of uh you know hire, being hired out to uh teams to try to hack their uh, <laughs> you know their opponents to steal this week's game plan i mean it does make it easier I, obviously to uh, to have uh, it on an ipad but man i mean i you know it's on wi-fi like just yeah. the, I mean, you could ask a player; they might send it to you. <laughs> but if you had to do other things, you could probably get it that way too. I would think that's one more worry because we were always thinking how easy it would be to park your car in the fifth or sixth level of the <clears throat> of that one garage uh, uh, overlooking the practice fields and just put a GoPro on your uh, you know on your rearview mirror and, and just let it go for you know the rest of the afternoon. Uh, but now that new new building, you know, at the corner of, uh, gosh, what is that, McClintock and uh, can't even think of whatever, that in 38th Street or something like that. I think 36th, But that building, yeah. that building is, is blocking. It, it soon will be blocking all the levels of the garage. So 
USC may not be able to get spied on then, but uh, maybe they got to worry about uh, getting hacked. True. Um, we had a quick question from Sergio. Who do you think is going to be the starting offensive line for USC in the fall? That's a really good question. I guess what we don't know is what happens with the center. Uh, you know, in what you know shape or Toa and Khalil, and how quickly can they get into it? You know, full go. Considering that uh, Nico Falla, I think, was really, uh, I think, had a really good spring. And uh, I know they really were impressed, uh, Coach Callaway, and they really like what he's done. And so that's a position I think we really don't know enough about in terms of, uh, of where that's going to go. I mean, if I had to pick him right now, you would, you would think, uh, you know, Viani at uh, Talavaro at right guard and, uh, um, and Chris Brown at the other guard he seems to be ahead uh in that um, in that you know four-way battle i think uh jordan simmons and damian mama it's going to be interesting how that <clears throat> plays out but it looks like Viani and uh, chris may uh you know have had the you know the early jump in spring uh but they all you know i think they pretty much considered all of them you know interchangeable on in the first group and then um I would guess if I had to pick, I'd probably say Zach Banner at right tackle and Chad Wheeler at left tackle and Chuma having the ability. Uh, certainly, if they would alternate, Chuma goes to right tackle, and that gives you Zach who can move over to left. But uh, I'd I pick it that way, and I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm, I don't think Coach Callaway is ready to go with his five guys, and, uh, and I don't think, I, I just think that's getting ahead of it right now because we really don't know. Uh, you know, what the story exactly is going to be with, uh, with center. Yeah. I think with, uh, you know, he had Neil Calloway had the, the spring to kind of evaluate a lot of guys. I mean, it's a, it was like a 10 deep rotation for the first unit or could be, you know, that 10 guys that can play for sure. Um, but I think that he'll take the, the off season to kind of look at film and, and get a feel for it and really set it up in the fall. So all these guys are going to be competing and try to weed each other out. But it, I think there's a lot of good options there for USC on the offensive line. It should be, you know, the, one of the strengths of not just the offense but the whole team. I would think. Yeah, and you gotta have uh, you gotta have two centers. I don't think there's any question. You can't. I mean, they needed three last year. I mean, we always remember that famous game at Washington. They needed three centers on three plays when they lost two of them. I mean, it's just you better have you know enough people who can play center. It looks like they do. Uh, whether you would keep, uh, you know. Do you keep Khalil Rogers there if Toa goes in with Nico, or do you move Khalil the guard? Uh, you know, is uh, Jordan Simmons? It, it, you hate to do anything with him now. You know, as a senior, finally getting healthy and getting his chance, and uh, that's his natural position, and he's played well. But do you look at him and say, you know, Jordan, we had you over on defense once, and, and we probably need you more on defense right now. I mean, I do think those kinds of considerations, you know, may come into play. Uh, but uh, at least, again, this is where USC's got answers. I mean, the, the amazing thing is all those guys have played. And, uh, you know, almost all of them have started. And, uh, and I think the big revelation for me was uh, Nico Fala, uh, followed by Chris Brown, that they just, you know, got some chances last year. And they've taken, you know, they've really grown into their positions. I'm, I'm just real impressed with those guys. 
We have another question from Tarek. He said, besides Port Augustine, who do you see as USC's second best pass rusher? Hmm. I thought it was a good question. That's a good question. Um, would you Would you agree that Port Augustine is probably the best? Uh, I think he's he's the biggest. The, the combination of size and speed and and pretty relentless. I'm not. I don't know that he's anywhere near technique wise yet to where you you really want him to be. But you look at him and you think, okay, that's what I want him to look like, and I want him to play hard like that. Uh, I think they're going to be running a lot of inside stunts with those, you know, those inside linebackers. So I don't, I don't think we know exactly how that's going to work. And I don't think um, we should overlook uh, Rasheem Green. I, I think he's, you know, at, at 6'5 and 280, he's got a lot of, um, you know, that Leonard Williams look about him. And, um, I mean, he's just got a long, you know, long-limbed, uh, you know, and kind of a lean you know, if you can be lean and 280 pounds and playing the, um, you know, the one gap uh, and being encouraged to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, uh, I think last year we basically knew, you know, none of the line, you know, the, the down guys were going to be, you know, factors. Uh, I don't know that we know that this year. I think uh, so I, I might put Rasheem, you know, Green as a, as a possible, uh, you know, pass rusher that, that could do some damage. So. And and I think I, I I'm impressed with Jabari Ruffin looks like a new guy. Uh, uh, he just looks. I mean, he I don't know if you saw the hit in the spring game, but he just leveled. Gosh, who was coming across the other way? Stephen Mitchell, I think. And uh, Jabari's been flying around. He looks healthy. He just looks like he's confident. And um, and we always thought he had the physical tools you know, to get it done, and if he gets put into the exactly, you know, the right situation, uh, I think he could be a factor as well. Well, it's a, a good segue to the next question about, if you're talking about pass rushers, um, we got one from Twitter, Tyler Nelson, at BlueTJN wrote in. Uh, he said, do you see Olawale, uh, uh, he's talking about Bedeku, get better as spring practice went on? Did you see him get better as spring practice went on? And if so, uh, how so? Well, I will say this. He worked at it hard. I mean, he stayed, there were honestly, he stayed an hour after practice sometimes. Now, he's working by himself. And a lot of that is, you know, physical conditioning. And, you know, here's a guy that you look at and you think, I'm not sure you need a lot more physical conditioning. It's just, you know, becoming a football player and, and, and uh, you know, playing in space and knowing when not to overcommit and things like that. But we probably shouldn't leave him off the list because he's one of those guys who may be able to line up just a little bit wider and just say, you know, see where that quarterback's going to be, get there, and just run by everybody. Now, he may run by the quarterback, too. But uh, uh, his physical tools are, are really, really impressive. Whether, I mean, if a guy's only been playing a, you know, football a couple of years, whether you can expect him to be able to play at, at the level USC's going to be playing at, especially, you know, two of those first three games, um, that may be asking a lot because if he's – I mean, but as a change of pace, if you start him and teams are able to, you know, game plan – and look at him and say, okay, this is what we can do. This is, 
But if you bring him in, you know, on occasion and, you know, slip him in there and just turn him loose, uh, I think he could be a factor. He's, uh, he's really impressive. You know, he's one of those guys. You, it's funny. You mentioned Rasheem Green. Uh, and for the previous recruiting class, I thought he was the most important player because, like, athletic defensive linemen do not grow on trees in California, kind of like they do in the SEC country. So missing out on a guy, a five-star local guy like that, at that kind of position, I thought would have been big. And then from right. the same high Absolutely. school, uh, you know, getting Wale and – he just looks like this chiseled, um, just a Greek god kind of thing. And there's a there's certainly a rawness to him of only playing football for a couple of years and coming from Nigeria. But, man, he's another one of those five stars that you never want to miss on a five star. But he has that potential. You, we talked about having playmakers and Sua Cravens being that guy. I think he has the potential to be one of those dudes that just makes a whole bunch of individual plays, goes off on his own, off script maybe sometimes. And just brings you know, just brings the quarterback down or makes a big tackle for a loss. He just seems like that kind of he could be that kind of guy. Yeah, I mean he's the kind of guy that once he gets a sense of this is how the game's played, you can line him up and they know he's coming and they still can't get there. You know, you can be that offensive tackle and you can say, I know what he's gonna do, I know how he's gonna do it, and you just can't get there fast enough to get in front of him. I mean I do think He's got that kind of <clears throat> disruptive ability. I mean, he's just going to line up and come, and, uh, you know, as long as he doesn't take himself out of plays, um, he will, uh, he'll be a factor. Uh, you, you have to compensate for him in the game because you don't want him running by and somebody, you know, taking advantage and taking it back up inside where, you know, where USC doesn't have anybody. But, uh, I mean, I would think there are some things they're going to be able to do with him that uh, – it will be very difficult for teams to uh, to handle. He's just one of those guys that he can get there before you can get to him. Yeah, it's funny watching him in practice. Uh, I wouldn't say his hands are all <laughs> that great. You, you could tell yeah. just he hasn't really played football all that long. It just didn't seem all that natural. If he had to, you know, playing soccer or something, maybe what? But just trying to catch the ball and some of the linebacker drills was. Kind of funny to watch. I feel bad, but just he just that wasn't really where his strengths were lying in the ball skills yet. Yeah, that's why uh, you, you got to say what the heck is a sport? And I know people get get mad at me for this, but a sport where they tell you you can't use your hands to me is like what you can't use your hands. <laughs> but it was obvious, you know, as kids grow up in places where they don't catch or you know or throw a ball, and uh, to me, you ought to always be able to. To do that, but it doesn't look like he's done a lot of that. Certainly not. Um, all right, so we're uh, so we're just to let people know this is the Peristyle Podcast, but we're doing it a live version on Friday Harbor uh, Tiny Radio. So it's fhtinyradio.com is where we're broadcasting it live, and we're going to do a couple minutes. We're going to hand it over to the Husky Fan Podcast. But so we have a hard out in a couple minutes, Dan. But I just want to kind of get your thoughts on where USC stands right now. Uh, you know, after spring football, heading into the summer, do you kind of think you know this was Clay Helton's first go around? You know, running spring practice, you, you think it went well for him, and did he do the right things? Yeah, I think you know the thing he did so well. I think was put together a coaching staff that 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 gets together well and has a good idea of what it wants to do. You know, on both sides of the ball, we'll see a little more with special teams and and John Baxter, who's kind of uh, 
you know, a one of a kind, you know, sort of a guy. And we really didn't get to see much of the, the punting. And, uh, and we saw different ways of trying to, you know, get, uh, you know, kicker back Bormeister, who's got the big powerful leg, but uh, trying to get him, you know, squared away accuracy wise. Uh, but uh, offensive, I, I love the offensive concept that they're, you know, that they really believe they're going to have to be able to run the ball and run it in, t- in tough, you know, situations. And yet uh, they're going to throw it uh, to a lot of people and uh, throw it quickly and take what you give them. And I think the difference is, I know, you know, Sark talked about that, but I don't think there was the follow-through in terms of designing the run game and, uh, and, and preparing the offensive line to, to do what had to be done, you know, to make the run game work. Uh, I think, uh, you know, so I think, you know, the, the thought that they're going to be able to run the ball will allow them to throw the play-action pass. The thought that they've got tight ends who can all get deep and go down the seam, and you're going to have to defend them most every play, is really a big deal. That changes the way things are. I mean, if you remember all of Pete Carroll's good teams, heck, most of the time the first play of the game was, uh, you know, a naked boot, you know, throw to the tight end. And, uh why did it work? Because you had to respect the run game. And so I think, you know, the concepts and the coaching on offense are, are really good. I think, uh, and I think the kids really picked up on them. There really wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, uh, lost time to transition. On defense, I think Clancy, you got to believe after what he did in 2013 that, uh, you know, he will understand the personnel. Some of them were here then. Uh, and how they fit into his system. And the idea of encouraging USC kids to be aggressive on defense, to play the one gap, to play on the other side of the ball, to run to the football, to play a lot more man-to-man, again, that fits the kind of character of what USC football should be and the way USC recruits. And it was really difficult for the last however many years when they kind of felt like, you know, Blaine and Sark felt like they had to go away because of numbers or who knows what exactly, but they went away from those concepts that they couldn't teach defense well enough that they would just play it safe and all that. And so I really like where they are, you know, scheme-wise and coaching-wise. And for the first time in a long time, it looks like there's enough depth and a really decent experience. So I think there's a good reason, you know, to feel, you know, fairly comfortable about or confident, I guess, and comfortably confident about where this team is, that they've got a chance to to be pretty good, and uh, now they, they have to just take it and, and do it. But, uh, but you're not looking at a team that structurally is in a terrible place, uh, except for something's got to happen with the defensive line where guys have got to come through who are young. Uh, they're athletic enough, they're big enough, they're strong enough, fast enough, but they're pretty young. And other than that, this team's got a chance to to be pretty good. All right, well, that's going to wrap us up for, for our show here, the Peristyle Podcast. That's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks to Tiny Radio for doing this uh, live version of the podcast today. We're going to hand it over to the Husky Fan Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>